October 25th, uh, that's our three-year anniversary, and so we're, the, we're at the tail end of a series this morning that we've been doing called Characters, which we've kind of been pulling these sort of B characters out of the Bible, these support acts, these people that, that come in for just a few short lines but seem to shift the trajectory of everything. Not just the hero's journey, so not just your Davids or your Jesus or whoever might be the main character at that point, but kind of in a weird way, these characters have the ability to shape the whole story of Scripture, and God uses them in order to shift the entire needle, um, not just that for that just one person, but for the whole of history. Uh, and so it kind of it gives us a chance to reflect and look around and say, like, in what moments, in what small moments might I be that kind of support character? Might I be that kind of person that jumps in and does that, even if it's just for a quick uh, minute? And so this is our last week in that uh, series, and then next week, uh, I'm going to start a little short series that I'm just going to call Unstuck. Uh, I believe that the biggest thing that's plaguing us as Angelinos, uh, as Christians, as people, uh, as day-to-day professionals, as, as whatever you might be, um, there's this overwhelming thing called the messy middle, which basically just means like you haven't just started something and it's super fun and it's super awesome and you got all that, you're all jazzed about it, maybe it's a new relationship, maybe it's a new job, maybe it's new whatever, and you're just, you're, you're, you're elated uh, and you're just kind of obsessed with it, right? Because it's brand new, yeah? Uh, and then there's this period in the middle where like, you're like, eh, I don't know, I'll give you an example. Like um, a couple of years ago, my wife and I leased a car. Uh, it was a Toyota RAV4 and when we got it, I was like, well, keep in mind guys, we were jumping from a 2003 CRV that had no back tire to like this new rented car. And I was like, oh, this car is amazing. This is beautiful. It's got navigation. It's got all these fun things. I can hook my phone up to it. Like a year later, I really hated that car. I, I really hated that car. And it's just because I just, I, I made a snap decision and I thought like anything's better than that. I didn't really do my due diligence and pick the one that I really, really wanted. And so therefore I was just kind of like, I don't, this is not the car. Uh, for me. I do not like this car. Uh, and, and then towards the end of it, I began to very much resent that car, right? So there's, there's, a, there's a period, and that can happen with relationships. That can, happen, uh, that can happen in careers. That can happen with your home. That can happen with almost anything we deal with in life. And what I want to do is kind of give us some principles, biblical principles, stuff that we can pull from Scripture and, and with the example of Jesus of how we can deal with that messy middle and kind of get unstuck from that. So that'll last all the way up until October 25th. And then I'm really excited about October 25th. And I've talked with the strategy team about that. And we honed sort of this new series for that. And it'll start that day. And that's what the whole theme of the night is going to be. It's going to be around the idea of home. Uh, We're coming into three years as a church home. And so what we want to do is kind of reevaluate what does home look like? What does it mean to belong? Not just here, but just in general. Um, I think that's an answer. That's a question that plagues us all. What does it really mean to be belong. And I think the key answer there is that to belong is to feel missed. To belong is to be in a space that if you're not there, people miss you. Your presence is missed. And I'm so excited to launch into that. We're going to talk about home in so many different fractions. We're going to kind of celebrate the city, Los Angeles, which does not get enough love, especially from the people that live in it. We're going to celebrate uh, the, the church as a home. We're going to celebrate all of these different ways that you can be at home and how to feel at home. So that starts October 25th. So there's a lot coming down the pipeline. Here's what I want to press you to do. On October 25th, when we start this new series about home, it's going to be a perfect opportunity to bring some folks into this and kind of tell them what Resonate is all about, why this church is different, why it's quirky, why it's unique, why it's fun, and why they should be a part of it. And while this home is open to everyone, and this is a space where everyone can belong. 
so invite, invite, invite. I said this at Easter. I'm going to say this again on October 25th. I believe this is just as important of a moment. Invite up to five people if you can. More if you can. I shouldn't say up to five people. Try and invite five people. If you can invite more than that, that'd be awesome. Um, we would love uh, just to pack this place out. There's going to be food. There's going to be beverages. Uh, it's going to be a great time to be able to get to know who we are. Um, and Omi has already set up this killer three-set worship thing. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit. There's going to be some multimedia stuff going on. It's going to be a real, real cool time. Bobby's going to be painting. So please uh, invite, 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 and be there. Um, that being said, let's dive into our last week of characters. Now, normally, I, uh, I'll do a sermon, and I'll, I'll get pretty ramped up about it. Like, it's the messy middle, right? Like, right in the beginning, I'm like, yes, and then midway, I'm like, this is terrible. Burn it all. And then, like, towards the end, I'm like, okay, well, yeah, we can do it. This one, though, I got excited about all week long. Um, and the fun part about it is because it's so deeply nerdy, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and elevate it and simplify it so that it's not nerdy. When I did it out loud for the first time this week, it was over an hour long. So I cut it in half. So don't worry. <laughs> Part of it's going to be about the messy middle next week. You're not going to have to sit through that. Um, but I'm so excited about it. What we're going to do is we're going to go through three movements. And we're going to go through three different characters in the Bible. And all of those characters are support characters, but they're not real people. They come out of parables, these stories that Jesus would tell. And so we only get a glimpse into these characters. Most of them do not have names. In fact, I don't think any one of them has a name. But we're going to talk about a shepherd. We're going to talk about a woman. And we're going to talk about a father. And all of this is going to come out of Luke 15. Um, before we do that, we need to talk about some margins and, and, and lostness. And, and we're going to talk about um, an argument that me and my wife had. And she's going to be super stoked that I shared that with you. And then we're going to talk about uh, someone who got lost in a cave. And then we're going to talk about some Pharisees. And then we're going to go through those. Uh, and then I'm going to kind of tell you what we're going to talk about next week. So let me pray as we begin this morning. Um, uh, thank you guys for being here. Let's pray. Lord God, I am so, um, so thrilled to be here this morning in your presence. Um, as we talk about uh, stories of people um, who exist, uh, not necessarily within the status quo, not within the group, but we talk about people that um, as a group, sometimes we place outside. Um, as we talk about people that, uh, that don't always get the invite to the party and should get the invite to the party. Would you bless this situation? Would you bless this sermon? Would you bless our time together? Amen. So the thing about all those three characters that we're going to talk about, um, the shepherd, the woman, with the exception of the father, uh, these are characters that are like in biblical times and even somewhat now uh, are, are on the margins. And I'm going to explain why in a minute, but the, these characters are kind of people that, that exist not necessarily within the normal social norm. Um, we're going to get to why the father doesn't. Usually a father would be like number one inside, uh, but the father places himself outside for a brief time, which is kind of crazy, and we're going to look into that. Um, but all of these people are, are sort of outside, and, and in the church world uh, and, and in the normal world, we kind of give these people a bad name. And it's not just that they're on the margins, or they're just outside just a little bit. Sometimes we just refer to them as lost, Right? And if you've been in a church for a long time, you may have heard that, like lost, we're here to save the lost, we're going to go for the lost, which is a beautiful concept, because actually that idea of being lost is, is, is a crazy, deep metaphor. It's a beautiful reality. Uh, but I think we've begun to kind of flippantly use it just as a regular term, just to describe someone who we wouldn't want to sit down to dinner with, <laughs> right? Now oh, that guy's lost. <laughs> I don't, well, don't want to share a meal with so-and-so because they are lost, right? 
I think we need to reorient this idea of loss because lost and margins, people on the margins, people that are lost, those are different things, right? You can be on the outside of something and not be lost. You can know exactly where you are, right? But to be lost, what Jesus talks about when he talks about seeking the lost and finding the lost and bringing the lost back home, that idea of loss is deeply, deeply beautiful. I am a huge proponent of loss. Uh, I lose things constantly. Um, if you ask my wife, uh, just on a daily basis, I will lose keys, credit cards. I, like, at least once a week, I'm driving back to a restaurant because I left my credit card at the restaurant. Like, I'm that kind of person. And hotel rooms are the worst. If I step into a hotel room, for some reason, my brain just goes like, and all of a sudden, I'm gonna just start throwing things under beds. I'm gonna, in my brain, I, I have, and I'll lose something immediately. I literally tell the person at the front desk, I will be back to obtain another hotel key because I know I'm going to lose this, right? I, I just get myself prepared. I'm just, I, that's who I've been since I was a little kid. I'm awful at it. But there's another side to this loss stuff uh, and my ability to keep things under control. I have a system to most things. So even though it may seem like, Josh, like that, that pile of clothes in the corner, I'm like, no, 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 no. Those are my outfits for the next week. I, I know exactly what's in that pile. Don't touch that pile. If you touch that pile, you're going to ruin everything. And so I grew up with a mother who would naturally just sort of swoop that stuff up and, and put it in its hashtag rightful place. Not rightful place at all. I could never find it again, right? So I grew up in fear. Right? Something is going to leave. I'm, gonna, I'm never going to be able to find this item again. If it's gone, it's gone forever. Good, boom, bang, bing. Because the other part of this is my mom could never remember where she actually indeed put it. So I grew up in fear. And I brought that fear into my marriage and into my life with uh, Chelsea. And so if something's gone, my initial reaction isn't to go, Josh, you lose things all the time. It's totally your fault. My initial reaction is to go, Chelsea, you moved this thing. <laughs> where did you move it? And she becomes a villain for just a second. And there's been one ongoing uh, debacle in our household that has lasted uh, probably about six months. Um, and it's just that thing, you know when you're like in an argument and it keeps coming back to like that same thing? It wasn't about that in the first place. Like you're doing the dishes and you're doing the dishes wrong or something. And you're like, you know, you could probably dry that differently. I know, but what about this deeper thing that's going on? Like, and you just kind of roll word vomits. Well, this one comes down to a, a simple charging cord. Um, and in specific, it's a charging cord for a dust buster. We live in a one-bedroom apartment that is a wood floor. Uh, the windows are always open, and so it's just a dust magnet. There's dust everywhere. Uh, and so we invested through Amazon uh, this awesome dust buster, which is my best friend. I love it. Uh, my, my dog really, really hates it, but I love to turn that bad boy on and just go. One day, I came to the dust buster, and I saw that it was unplugged. This is a big no-no in our family. Like, that, that must remain charged. I need that at all times. So it's not there. It's not on the charger, uh, and I can't find the charger. So. Whose fault is this? Obviously not mine. So I go and try and find Chelsea and say, hey, did you see the, where the charger went uh, to the dust buster? And she replied, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't move that. And I was like, no, no, no. I mean, someone moved it because it's not there. And I did not move the charger to the dust buster. This just kind of unwound. I'm going to just give you the short version. It, it ended badly. So we, we just kept talking about this thing. And then it would come up all the time. I'd just be like, it was, it's just that kind of aching thing. Like, I know I shouldn't say it. I know I shouldn't say it. But then it would just come up like, and you know the dustbuster cord is still missing. Do you happen to know where the dustbuster cord is? And never, never found, right? And I would just blamed her for this, like constantly, 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 constantly. <laughs> Until this week, when I was writing this sermon, uh, I went into my own closet and uh, to find this very jacket. 
and in this very jacket was this very cord to the dustbuster, and I had to sheepishly go back to Chelsea and put it on the table with my head down, just like, I am so sorry for everything that I have put you through. <laughs> I have found the cord to the dustbuster, and watch, I will lose this today. Um, but losing things causes a sense of panic, right? When we are physically lost, when you don't know the right direction, your brain literally goes crazy. There's a, there's a part of your brain, I think it's called the hippocampus, and that's a fun word, hippocampus, but basically what that does is it navigates, it was, it was built into us in the days that we needed to, to sort of map out our reality without a physical map, right? Because if you're like thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, and you're rolling around, you don't have a GPS, chances are you don't have a map, and if you do have a map, it's gonna be very crude, and it's really not gonna give you an accurate representation of where to go. And so our brain sort of naturally figured out, okay, we can, we can map and remember where we're supposed to go. And in fact, thousands and millions of different neurons fire whenever you get out of your car to go someplace, whenever you're in a new city, whenever you're there. That's why the best place, the best way to get to know a place or the best way to kind of like learn how to get places is to walk places because that's what we've been doing the longest. So if you hop on a bicycle or you walk and you navigate those streets, you'll remember those streets a whole lot better. It's just the way that our brains are wired. So literally when you're like, I think it's this way and you have that inkling, those are like millions of neurons screaming yes or screaming you're completely wrong, right? We've got brains that are like these supercomputers that are telling us this is the direction you go, this is the direction you go, this is the direction you go. But the problem is when our brains encounter a situation in which that fails us, right? The lights go out, I'm underground, I took a wrong turn, I'm in the wrong sort of town, I don't know where I am anymore. All of a sudden, what happens? It doesn't make you excited. I mean, it does if you're really weird, but if you're, if you're like anyone else, a rational human being, you begin to sort of get a little panicked, right? I don't know where I'm going anymore. I thought I knew, now I don't. And so the natural human inclination in lostness is panic. It's danger, it's doubt, it's fear, it's I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this, right? Even if it's just a tiny little thing and even if it's losing something as stupid as a power cord, there's a panic that comes and relates to that. But there are really extreme cases of this and I stumbled upon this this week and this is like one of the most fascinating stories I've ever heard. Um, this guy's name is Jean-Luc Yossat Verger. I had to learn how to say that. Um, do we have that picture of him out there, Alex? It should be like the first, perfect. Now. Jean-Luc is holding a newspaper article uh, about himself. Uh, what happened to Jean-Luc is uh, he was going through a bout of depression, and so he lives in France. He took his, uh, his Land Rover, a bottle of whiskey, and a bottle of sleeping pills, uh, and decided he was going to go into a cave uh, and drink that entire bottle of whiskey and finish that entire bottle of sleeping pills uh, and never come out of the cave. Uh, but he decided before he did it, he wanted to find uh, a good spot where he would be found. So he pulled into the cave with his Land Rover, opened the door, did not shut it, walks into the cave, turns on his flashlight and just keeps walking, just keeps going. And then he begins to doubt why he's there. And this is all in the story, it's fascinating. He just says, oh wait, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe I'm just overreacting, maybe I need to get back to the car. As he's thinking those thoughts, his flashlight begins to flicker and it dies. Uh, and Jean-Luc found himself in a mushroom cave uh, where they were like planting mushrooms, uh, completely lost because he had taken a turn and could no longer see just a foot in front of him. It's complete and utter darkness in there. 
And so he begins to stumble around, and because the ground is soggy, he puts his foot into the mud, and it sucks his shoe off. And then he tries to scramble to find his shoe. He can't find his shoe. And then as he goes again, the other shoe comes off. All of a sudden, he's barefoot in there, having no idea where to go. And this went on for 34 days. <laughs> Jean-Luc was trapped in complete and utter darkness for 34 days. The only way he survived was wandering around literally eating bark, finding wild mushrooms, rolling the dice on those, and drinking water off the side of the cave. And 34 days later, these teenagers uh, who were around those caves saw his Range Rover with the door still open uh, and figured something wasn't right here, so they called the police, and instantly they ID'd the car, and they got a search team, and they found Jean-Luc 34 days later, huge beard. He'd been surviving by like putting a like, plastic tarp around him, eating this bark, drinking, uh, and just staying in one place. And the most ironic part about where they found Jean-Luc was he was only 600 feet from the entrance of the cave. 600 feet. Imagine those rescuers coming in and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm free, and them just taking you just a couple steps out, <laughs> right? And going like, oh my gosh, was it there the whole time? See, the moral of that story is that we can be 600 feet from the entrance. We can be 600 feet from freedom. We can be 600 feet out of lostness and into the light, but it takes someone, something, something bigger than ourselves to pull us from there because often we do not have the ability to do that ourselves. And what's amazing, when they asked Jean-Luc about his process, he said, at first I was deeply, deeply afraid. And then after a few days, when I realized I wasn't going to die, I just kept wandering the caves and I would sing to myself in the dark. I'd sing to myself in the dark. And he said, something about that time period changed me and all I could reflect on was why I came to the cave in the first place. John Luke came out of that cave, went back to night school, got a better job, is now thriving. His family is great. He has a 14-year-old son. 600 feet from the edge of that cave, right? When we're lost, it can be so obvious where we're supposed to step out, and yet a lot of times there's no way for us to see that. And the profound thing is God uses that. So here's, here's the lesson in that. God can change us in the lostness and in the dark. He can use that situation to change our hearts to use it as a reflection time, and it's painful, and it's really, really not fun. Hopefully it's not as painful as what Jean-Luc went through, <laughs> but I'm telling you, most of the time, when we're in these periods, it is not fun, right? It is not fun. And yet, God uses those periods to find us, and here's the even better part. If we can learn anything through Scripture, and that's what we're going to talk about in these three stories, we can say that goodness, He never stops looking for us never stops looking for us. Even though 34 days in the cave is a very, very long time, right? Show up a little earlier, maybe seven, seven days, something like that. <laughs> but God never stops looking for us. And when we're found, that's profoundly good news. And that was the whole point of Jesus. He just wanted to say like, hey, you know what the cool thing is, is when someone actually gets to step out of that darkness and out of that lostness, we should be really, really, really excited about that. We should throw a party about that. That should be a celebration. But the same as the people, uh, the same as the people now, the people back then, 
kind of believe that, no, 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 those people who are lost, those people who are on the margins, those are the people we need to be putting up barriers for, right? They're lost, and so they're permanently lost. Like, what they've done is irredeemable. There's no such thing as good news when they come back in because they've caused us trouble before. We should not let them in. And that is the antithesis of what Jesus was here to teach. He was here to say, no, 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 no. When we step across the boundary, we undo the boundary. When we step into the margins, we undo the margins. All of a sudden, the world just gets a little bit bigger, right? And we include them in. And there is no better chunk of scripture uh, than Luke chapter 15. Luke is a fascinating book in the Bible. It's one that has the Christmas story in it. Uh, so we read from it um, at least once a year. Uh, and it's one of the most comprehensive gospels. And what's even cooler is the same author for Luke, we believe, wrote the book of Acts. So we have this kind of two-parter thing going on. Uh, we have the book of Luke, and then we have the book of Acts. And the book of Luke is all about the gospel. It's all about Jesus' life. It's all the red letters. It's all Jesus speaking. And then Acts is sort of what we do once Jesus ascends. What do we do when now we're doing this face-to-face, person-to-person, rather than following the physical Jesus around, right? Um, and one of the entire chapters of Luke, if we have so many words, right, one huge chapter is all about the idea of the lost, and not just the lost, but the lost being found. Uh, and what I was able to uncover this week and some of this stuff is so much fun if we give it a little bit of context. Because I think these, these three parables, the one of the lost sheep, the one of the lost coin, and the one of the prodigal son, just get kind of thrown around as literal, like, whatever, everyday things. Um, but they have such deep and intrinsic meaning. And so what I want to kind of do is give some historical context uh, so that we can see how deep this stuff really goes. Uh, and we'll start at the end, because I've said the parable of the prodigal son probably like four times in the last couple of weeks. So I think we kind of get that and we know that. But basically, quick recap on the prodigal son. We have a father. We have two sons. One son says to his father, I want all of my, I want my inheritance. I want my chunk of the money, which is equivalent to telling your dad, I want you dead. And then goes off, squanders it, and comes back. And when he comes back, instead of what he said was, I'll just be a servant in my father's household, it says that the father sees him from a long way off and starts running towards him. And before he can even get the apology out of his mouth, he's hugged, embraced, robe is put on him, ring is put on him, sandals are on his feet. He's now welcomed back as a son, right? It's a beautiful story of redemption. Now, here's what I want to kind of point out. In the first, we're starting at the end because this is the last story uh, in this kind of trilogy of parables. And we're going to start at the end because what we have here is a, a, a sort of spirit of celebration. Someone goes away, someone is lost, and then at the same time, we get a celebration at the end when they're found. A party is thrown. Celebrate, 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 celebrate. And that's the part in church I think we skip by all too fast. We love to talk about the hug and the father and just saying like, hey, welcome. But the huge part of this is that, that there is a celebration. And not just with the Father. In that kind of day, things were not done privately, right? So this is our first little hint of historical context. You did nothing privately. <laughs> Everything was interconnected in the village that you lived in. So if this son came through from a long way off, the entire village saw him do that in this story. And if they threw a party and they killed a fattened calf, the entire village would have been at that party. So this celebration was done communally. So let's start there, okay? We're gonna just recap there, but let me go through the scripture uh, of the lost sheep. Um, cool. And Tom, can we pull down my mic just a little bit? I think I'm getting a little feedback up here. Um, so Luke 15. Uh, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So this is the very beginning of the chapter. This is where we start. 
we start in the context of all of these parables, they're all being told towards this group of people called the Pharisees, right? So when we talk about the prodigal son or we talk about the parable of the lost coin or the lost sheep and these parables that we kind of take out of context and put into a different context, their true context was towards a group of people who right here are proving to us that they believe that there are boundaries that must be set and there are margins that cannot be crossed and that these people, you cannot possibly eat with them. It's unrighteous to eat with them. Therefore, if it's unrighteous to eat with them, Jesus' theology, Jesus' religion, Jesus' kingdom that he keeps talking about must be awfully wishy-washy, right? It must be unrighteous too because he's sitting with these people and he's eating with these people. And I truly believe that that must have just broken Jesus' heart. (laughs) He must have been like, guys, you are totally missing the point. And what Jesus does when we miss the point is oftentimes he's like, let me tell you a story. And in fact, for this one, he's like, let me tell you three stories because this might take a long time to seep in. And the first one, he starts like this. Uh, He says, Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he's thrilled and places it on his shoulders. Now, let's just go through this real fast. A lot of times when we think about this, if you grew up in Sunday school, you got a little cartoon version of a shepherd, right? He might have a little swoop on his head and he's got a little staff and he's walking around and there's this group in a wilderness setting, right? They're in the middle of nowhere and they're there. Now, a good shepherd, what a sheep, let's start there. Sheep do one thing. They graze, they wander, they eat. That is their lot in life. They want more food, they go, and they are some of the dumbest animals we have available to us, right? They, they do not think well, and oftentimes in the Bible, guys, we are compared to them. So anyway, uh, they are not very intelligent, so they will wander. Sheep kind of just will wander off, right? And when they wander off, that's why you have a shepherd, is so the shepherd can kind of say like, no, 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 get back in line there, get back in line there, so that they can be safe from all the stuff that goes on in the wilderness, right? Now, if you are a good shepherd, and you're actually good at your job, you would not just, and this is the way we tell this, like absolutely abandon the other 99 sheep and go find that one sheep because you could leave that whole 99 in a whole lot of trouble. But Wolf sees that, he's like, that is 99 snacks, right? Like that, 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 that really looks amazing. No, if you're a good shepherd, you would take the sheep and get them protected. You would have other herdsmen. So there were a shepherd and there were herdsmen. You would travel in a pack. The herdsmen would either watch them when he went away because he's a good shepherd, so there's still people caring for these sheep. Or what's even more fascinating is this. There are two ways to view this parable. One is that this is a very wealthy person because shepherds didn't often own these sheep. So it's just one person who's extremely wealthy who has a flock of over 100 sheep. That would be really, 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 really rare. That would be extremely expensive. Most villages just had a couple sheep, right? So what really is happening here is that the entire village probably had, Bob has his sheep in there, and then Joe has his sheep in there, and then Lindsay has her sheep in there. You've got all these people who have invested and their sheep is gonna have to graze, so what would they do? They would hire a shepherd, and hopefully if you hire a shepherd to take care of your sheep, and it's the communal thing, you would hire a good shepherd. you would want someone who's good at his job. So for these people listening to this, they're going, what? Okay, wait, so you've got this shepherd, probably good at his job. He would take those sheep back to town, likely, and he would say, I'm gonna go find this one sheep. It's Rob's sheep, sorry, Rob. (laughs) I lost your sheep, I'm gonna go find it, right? 
And then he would go and he would venture out. And here's the crazy part. The shepherd never went alone in the first place. He would have the herdsmen. This is a story that God is saying that God is so crazy obsessed with you and love with you that he would risk the elements alone to go and find you. And if you've ever been to Israel, you know that terrain is absolutely nutso. There are, there are cliffs, there are like dangers, there are wild animals, there's all of this. And so this is a picture of a shepherd who's literally risking everything. And then it gets even crazier than that because then it says, uh, places it on his shoulders. So not only does he just go and scorn the sheep and say like, okay, sheep, with me, we're going back. No, he takes that sheep and he pops it on his shoulders and he's about to make that whole dangerous journey with about like 50 pounds on his back. To the original hearers of the story, it's like Rambo is carrying your sheep home, right? Like, this is an insane story. Like, whoa, wait a minute. That's, that's what God is like? God is like that? Like, he would carry? I don't know if you guys have ever carried an animal. I have, like, a dog that's 20 pounds, and when he quits and I have to pick him up, I am so mad because it's so heavy to me, but you see me. Anyway, um, it's this huge animal, right? And he's bringing him back. And so when he brings him back, the scripture says this and place it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors. What's this? It's community again, right? His friends and neighbors saying to them, celebrate with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life over the 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. What this is saying is for that one person who lost their sheep, the community comes together and they say, oh, Rob got his sheep back. <laughs> Thank God, because this could have happened to any of us, and we have to throw a party over this. This is amazing. And this is the lowest bar that Jesus sets in all of these three stories. There's a, there's a lost sheep, there's a found sheep, and then there's a party, right? And then he moves on to this, and I think this is one of the ones we, we don't spend enough time. He says, or what woman if she owns 10 silver coins? So let's just... In the last story, who was God? He was the shepherd, right? In this story, Jesus starts out and he would have shocked everybody right the heck up. <laughs> he puts God in the role of the woman. This was not done, right? Gasps would have been going through the crowd. Wait, 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 wait. You, said what? you said shepherd first, and now you're saying what? You're saying what now? Like This was a shocking story right from the get-go. Uh, what woman, if she owns 10 silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching for her home carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Celebrate with me. Another celebration, another party is thrown. Because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. Now, before I get into all the crazy nuances here, underneath your seat, everyone is like Oprah. There aren't car keys under there, but what there are are, are uh, pennies. So look underneath your seat and see if you can find a penny. We placed a penny underneath. And if you already picked that up, now's the time to cop to it. It's like 50% of Resonate's budget, so don't. <laughs> all right. So if each of you can hold, did everyone find their penny or no? If you don't, don't worry about it. All right, we got a penny. So if you can, each of you could hold your penny, right? Let's do a little Q&A here. Uh, can your penny talk to you? Wow, someone said yes. <laughs> we need to go to coffee. <laughs> uh, can your penny move on its own? 
Can your penny get lost on its own? Yes. <laughs> I've spoken like a true teenager, my friend. <laughs> can, can your penny get lost on its own? No. Oh. So at first we have a story about a sheep who wanders off, and that's not the sheep's fault. That's in its nature, right? And God goes and he lovingly picks that thing up. Next we have a story, and this is where it gets a little bit darker. A penny or a coin cannot get lost on its own. Someone has to lose that. Someone has to mess that up. And so sometimes in life we're going to find ourselves lost just because we, we, we took the wrong turn. Man, oops. I made a mistake. Sometimes we're going to get lost. And unfortunately, sometimes we're going to get lost and we've been placed in that position by someone who hurt us. By someone who pained us. And so what God is doing with great detail, what Jesus is trying to describe in utter detail is that sometimes when people are lost, when people are on the margins, when people that you don't want to sit with, like you're telling me that I shouldn't sit with, sometimes you're the one who put them there. Sometimes it's your systems and your laws that placed them on the outside, and now I have to do the job of finding them and bringing them back. In that period in antiquity, your ground would have been packed dirt. So if you lost a coin, which is a very, 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 very valuable thing. If you lost a coin, there are no windows in your house and you've got a packed dirt floor, you would have to light a lamp. And a lamp was only about this big. It could sit on the palm of your hand. So what this is describing is a pitch black room, again, in utter darkness. And this woman caring enough to sweep every corner of the room until they found that little coin. And can you imagine searching in a pitch black room and you find that coin? You're going to want to tell everyone you know. And if you've been hurt by someone and someone has placed you in that lostness, I'm telling you right now, God is putting on that broom, lighting that lamp, and is looking for you. And when you are found and when you release to that, there's going to be a party, right? That's something to celebrate. That is something to celebrate. So hold up your coin one more time. What I want you to do with this coin this week is just to put it someplace you're not going to lose it, <laughs> right? Put it someplace you'll see it. Uh, I want this coin for us to be a reminder that we have a God that seeks after us um, and will sweep every corner of the universe to find us and show us how much that God loves us. In God's narrative, in these three narratives, there is no such thing as an unforgivable act. There is no such thing as unredeemable. Everything has to do with being redeemed. Everything has to do with being found. And lost is only a temporary state. It's only a temporary state. And in each one of these stories, these support characters come into the scene and they help retrieve, right? We have a sheep who wanders, not really his fault. We have a coin that's lost, somebody put it there. And we have a son who willingly goes out, but then the father welcomes him right back home. We have three different definitions of lost, and every single time the response is the same. I love you and I'm so glad I found you. Let's pray together. God, um, I just thank you that you're the type of God that searches after us, that, um, that runs towards us, that, that sweeps every corner, that, um, that hikes with us on your shoulders. I just thank you that you're the type of God um, 
that does not believe in those margins. Um, we love you. We're so excited uh, to place our coin somewhere we can remember. Uh, we can remember that love for us. Amen.